0: let's pray dear father in heaven we thank you for your life-giving word we pray now that as we've heard it read as we have it before us and as we reflect upon it and proclaim it that you would so transform us that our eyes may be lifted to Jesus and see him in all his glory we pray in Jesus name amen well appearances can be deceiving can't they uh, the attractiveness of looks can disguise, for a time at least, the unattractiveness of someone's temperament. Uh, the mild manneredness of a person uh, can conceal their ability to lead in a crisis. Uh, and the overthrow of a government can suggest that it's weak when actually its policies were uh, far sighted and strong. Again, appearances can be deceptive. And it's true with trusting Jesus too. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken the time out to ponder it. Uh, If you haven't, you certainly will one day. But trusting Jesus doesn't have the appearance that it's such an earth-shattering decision. Point of fact, most people don't trust Jesus. If numbers have any say, people have voted with their feet. And our churches certainly aren't turning people away. Well, you know, COVID accepted, of course. Maybe 3% of people in Sydney go to a Bible-believing church. Uh, And as for who who follow Jesus, people don't treat us as wiser. In fact, if you read the headlines, we're the fools and the dinosaurs of our day. But you need to remember, appearances can be deceptive. In fact, following Jesus is the wisest decision that any of us can make. And just because we can't see him doesn't mean he isn't ruler overall and just because others reject him doesn't diminish his authority how can you back up a claim like that Uh, even when Jesus didn't look like a world leader and even when he was humble and even when he suffered and was rejected it's because God foreshadowed all of this so he wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be deceived by appearances In the days of Jesus' forefather David, in the days of the books of Samuel. Last week, uh, we saw David run off his throne, out of his capital and into the wilderness. It was a terrible sequence of events. And while we've been seeing in so many ways how David points us to Jesus and foreshadows Jesus as both God's King and the Messiah, and the Lord's anointed, the reason for these events unfolding was a point of contrast rather than a point of comparison. David, we learnt, was not the king we need because David was sinful like us. At this point he represents us as we truly are before God rather than God as he truly is to us. But even what unfolds in chapters 13 to 16, as David's son sat on Israel's throne and it looked like he was in control, as David himself was cowered in the wilderness and it looked like God's promises to him had come to naught. This is here to teach us about reality over and against appearances. As we see that reversed in chapters 17 to 20. Here we see the Lord God achieves his purpose despite appearances. Now as chapter 17 opens, Absalom Absalom on his throne is confronted with two advisors. Uh, One is Ahithophel whose advice is rock solid like inquiring of the Lord we're told. The other is Hushai the Archite who like Ahithophel had served David but unlike Ahithophel is still serving David. The first gives advice to destroy David now and his followers before they can regroup. The other gives advice to wait. But it's 17 verse 14 that reveals the truth behind it all. The Lord God is achieving his purposes. As we read, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the Archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Absalom's heart was turned in the service of David. In fact, the Proverbs say in chapter 21, verse 1, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. This gives Hushai an opportunity to warn David who escapes east of the Jordan. Uh, But do you know what I find striking here in the second half of chapter 17? It's so similar to what happened when God first brought the Israelites to the land. It's like the events in the book of Joshua unfolding again when they sent spies into the land, but they were hidden by Rahab in order that God's plans for his people would be accomplished despite the strength of their enemies, despite the strength of God's enemies. And just as Israel came to the promised land from the wilderness, so David, we're told here, is in the wilderness in verse 16 and there again in verse 19 what's here keeps pointing us back to God keeping his extraordinary promises in the past as well as Israel's sin and failure as well when God freed Israel from the powerful clutches of Egypt and yet the people disobeyed him and were condemned to wander in the wilderness but here that same cycle is repeated in David, who received God's promises in 2 Samuel 7 of a descendant who will rule forever. And yet, like Israel, and despite God's goodness in 2 Samuel 11, despised the Lord God. Well, we meant to see the cycle repeating... Focusing in on the one representing the many here, the king, just as we're meant to see God's Messiah will suffer and be rejected. So that when Jesus comes and he's suffered and he's rejected, no one can say that he's actually out of step with what God had shown he should be. Or for those with eyes to see, deny that he is our Messiah appearances can be deceiving but even now here in chapter 17 the lord is achieving his purposes well chapter 18 comes along and the men of david and absalom face off in battle and absalom's troops are routed But most significantly there in 18 verse 9, riding on a mule, symbolic that is of his royal claims, Absalom's beautiful and thick hair entangles him in the branches of a tree. Now I don't know what to say to you at this point. Uh, Beware you who revel in your thick hair. Uh, (laughs) No, that's not actually the point for us, don't hear me say that. But this was all set up for us back in chapter 14. Absalom's appearance endeared him to the people, as Saul in 1 Samuel, the king like those of the nations after the people's heart rather than the king after God's own heart, had endeared him by his appearance to them. But God's king isn't chosen on the basis of what we consider wise or what we find attractive. And as that mule, the symbol of his royal claims, departed from underneath Absalom, so did his play to rule over God's true king, David. And though he was now vulnerable to death, the army wouldn't touch him. To respect and fear David's desire that Absalom be treated with gentleness But Joab, as is so often the way in 2 Samuel, Joab takes matters into his own hands and strikes him down. Now what's striking as these events unfold is the way in which God's king is where God's love and justice meet. Not in David's case perfectly, of course, but the signs are there and Jesus is foreshadowed. Remember David's command before the battle with Absalom, chapter 18, verse 5. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, be gentle with the young men, Absalom, for for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. Though he had turned against him and was trying to destroy him, David still had compassion on him. It's all the more clear when Absalom's death is announced to David. Let me set the scene, reading verse 31. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My Lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. Then hear David's words when the messenger and others would have expected him to be glad. Verse 33. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. There's so much going on in these words. David is full of compassion for his son Absalom, regardless of what had unfolded between them, even though he had risen up against him. And on his lips we hear these words, if only I had died instead of you. David could well have died. After all, back in chapter 12, he expected he should die for his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. God's justice demanded it, but God spared him. Yet the consequences of David's sin were real and costly. And where his sin played out in secret, his sons Amnon and Absalom's would repeat his sin and the consequences be very public. But neither Amnon, nor Absalom, nor David even could make atonement for their sins. They couldn't undo what they had done. They could not make right what they had done wrong. But as we find these words on the lips of God's kings, it foreshadows the one who would come and has come, who would be God's king par excellence and one of us, and yet without sin. The Lord Jesus, when he walked the earth, was compassionate toward those he found in sin. People just like you and me who live every day with the consequences of our collective sin, who, like David or his sons, cannot undo what we have done to despise God nor can we make right those things we have done wrong but as he demonstrated to them then so he does even for us today not only compassionate in his emotions but compassionate in his actions he died so you need not He died to fulfill God's righteous anger so we could be righteous before him. In Jesus, God's king, he is where God's love and justice meet. With that in mind, let these words spoken by Paul in Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, wash over you, Hear how Jesus fulfills what was foreshadowed in David and his life as we appreciate how David points us to Jesus. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Remember where we started? Uh, Appearances can be deceptive. None more so than when we look at God's king and his rejection and his suffering. He is God's king after all, and yet he experiences this. It's counterintuitive for our human way of thinking, isn't it? That the powerful should show weakness and those who should be served would serve. And yet that is the Lord in whom we trust. I mentioned it before, David's sufferings weren't just an aside to his rise to rule, they were were integral to his story. Because in them we would better recognise the true Messiah. And then we find Jesus, after he'd risen, talking to the uh, his followers on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 from verse 45, uh, where he revealed that the Old Testament, all of it in fact, pointed to him. Reading from verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, and in repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. All-powerful, yet overcome for a time. Suffering, yet vindicated. It's a reality we live with even today, possibly each day, as we follow and trust in him. I mean, Jesus doesn't look very impressive to the woke He isn't woke enough to the conservative. He isn't conservative enough. To many, he's an interesting figure. But they, know we, take what he said too far and take religion too seriously. To others, he's the antithesis of science or a myth to control us rather than a provable identity from the reality of history. But nothing's changed, has it? God's Messiah will be rejected by many, but received heartily by some. Don't believe the lie that reality is determined by the majority. Rather, look at the way David was treated as he fled from Jerusalem, as he returned. Some recognised his authority and knew themselves privileged to have a relationship with him. Others denounced him and spurned having anything to do with him. And it's the same today, isn't it? When you suffer for following Jesus or given a condescending look or a derided Or something worse should happen. And you question whether it's worth it. Remember, appearances can be deceptive. The Lord God achieves his purposes. And the one in whom you and I trust, the Lord Jesus, is truly where God's love and justice meet. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that again today you remind us, you excite us in the knowledge that what you have revealed in Jesus, what you foreshadowed about him in David, is indeed the very heart and centre of the universe and should be the very heart and centre of our lives. We thank you for your justice We thank you for your compassion and we thank you that they meet us together in the one, the Lord, Jesus, our Messiah. Give us confidence, we pray. Uh, When our circumstances wish to claim otherwise, to stand and remain in him by your wonderful spirit at work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.